America's special edition of Truth in Texas Banking. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, LaVonda Renfro, spotlighting some of my favorite podcast episodes from this year. Indeed, 2023 was an exceptional year. Our gaze remained firmly fixed on Veritech's most significant purpose, community. This special edition includes replaying my heartwarming conversations with three extraordinary organizations. Abel Speaks, Jen Palmer, Tanya Daniel from the Junior Achievement of Houston. Each conversation brims with shared energy and dedication to assisting those with our communities. As you're aware, our podcast revolves around individuals driven by purpose, and we hope you find this inspiration in how each guest has woven their organization into their lives tapestry. So sit back, relax, enjoy these great stories. We often talk about people with a purpose. On this podcast, you'll be listening to things that you maybe don't want to hear all the time. What a wonderful couple that brings about the awareness of how having a child with life-limiting diagnosis can have joy as well as sorrow. Welcome, Kelly and Daniel Crawford. You guys have touched my heart so amazingly. So I just wanted to find out, I guess, you know, tell us what Able Speaks is for you and why you started it. Let's start with just how we got started. Tell a little bit about our story. Um, and then you guys are welcome to ask any questions. So okay. no, thank no you. These questions, nothing is going to offend us. Um, we love talking about Abel and um, the ways that the Lord has like used his life. So freedom to ask all the things. Thank but, you. Yeah. So we got pregnant with Abel in the summer of 2015. And so he was our first baby and we wanted to find out gender. Um, we are people of little patience. And so <laughs> we decided to do the blood work at 10 weeks to find out gender. And a couple weeks later, um, we got a call from our OB and she said, you guys are having a little boy, um, but he has uh, tested high risk for trisomy 18. Okay. So I said, okay, what does that mean? And she said, I don't know a lot about the diagnosis, but what I do know is if the diagnosis holds true, he's considered incompatible with life. And I said, okay. Um, and, you know, I asked a lot of questions. How does the test work? How accurate is it? All of these things. And, and she didn't have a lot of information and just said, you'll need to see a maternal fetal medicine specialist and um, they can give you more more information. And so about a week later, we went to the maternal fetal medicine specialist and he did an ultrasound and said, I'm 99% sure your son has trisomy 18 based on what I see on ultrasound and you guys can terminate the pregnancy and try for a better one. That was really the first time that we knew um, not everybody was going to value our son Abel's life in the same way that we did. And um, we quickly found a new specialist who really did value um, our wishes as Abel's parents and the ways that we wanted to continue the pregnancy, steward his life during the pregnancy. And that specialist really played a huge role in our story. Uh, he was one of the first people that encouraged us to celebrate Abel's life in the womb and that he was alive that day and that it, that was worth celebrating and that his life had meaning. And so we, you know, decided to, um, to follow that advice. One day at a time, the mundane moments of life, 
we really just started trying to make the most of those. We documented everything we did with Abel during the pregnancy, whether that was Abel's first movie or the first time he had ice cream or the first time he went to a park near our house, whatever it was, we right. documented that time. And that was really just for our benefit. Um, obviously, he didn't care, but um, <laughs> stay like present and in the moment day. And so... Um, that was a gift to us. And Daniel was on staff at our church at the time. And so we were really cared for and supported by our community and people that we were already um, friends with. And then tons of people, you know, rallied around us that we had loose connections with and just really encouraged us, supported us, challenged us in our faith uh, during that season and, and loved us really well. And so we ended up carrying Abel for 39 weeks and we had him on January 22nd, 20. 16. And then uh, we got to spend 15 days with him outside of the womb. And so we always say those are the best and hardest 15 days of our lives. It felt like two years went by in uh, two weeks, you know, Um, but getting to know what he looked like, getting to hear him cry, getting to give him a bath, doing all the things that parents want to do uh, with our children. Uh, at birth, we got we got to do a lot of those things, and we were told that you know we might get a, a few hours with him after delivery, and so 15 days felt felt like a huge gift to us. Right, so, right. And yeah, we we look back on Abel's life um, as a gift, and we look back on that time with like very few regrets. We didn't walk the road perfectly, but really felt like we did the best we could with the information that we had, and. And so really that's our hope for every family that we get to walk with is just that they will, you know, cherish their child's life and have hope in the midst of sorrow and and suffering. And so that's kind of how our story unfolded with Abel and then how Abel Speaks came to be really is every like about four months after Abel passed away, we um, had a friend of a friend reach out and say, hey, I know you guys were pretty open with your story. Would you be willing to connect with another family I know that has received a life limiting diagnosis? And so we said, sure, you know, we, we'd love to. We thought that was just the way that we would continue to steward Abel's life and, and parent him ultimately. And so we met with that family. And then about three or four months later, we got a similar phone call and then got another phone call. And it just kind of kept coming. And so we kept saying yes. And through our journey with Abel and then through the walking with all of those families, we just saw a lot of gaps in care and support. for Right. And so whether that's like on the medical side or maritally, or how do we steward our older kids through grief or, you know, our friends and family want to be supportive, but they don't know what to do or they don't know what to say and a million other other things that come up in this journey. Um, there's just not a lot of resources. And so right. like if we established a nonprofit, we could fill in some of those gaps in a whole, more holistic way than, than what we had been. And so what would have been Abel's second birthday, January of 2018, we formally established Able Speaks. And um, even then we thought, oh, it'll just be maybe 10 families a year in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. We did not have these like lofty goals of, of growing or expanding. But in the summer of like 2019, we kind of looked at each other and we're like, okay, either we have to go all in uh, as a family and, you know, was going to need to leave his job or we were going to really need to pass the ministry off to someone else who had more time and capacity. So uh, Daniel ended up leaving his job and um, we both 
kind of went all in on the ministry. And and then, yeah, here we are today. Um, we've served 370 families and wow. uh, every U.S. state, uh, eight different countries. And um, yeah, the Lord's grown it in ways that we could have never imagined or expected. We have four other employees and um, yeah, this is what we do full time and the way that we get to use our life. So uh, you know, we serve families who receive a life limiting diagnosis during pregnancy. And, and our hope is that they can cherish their child's life and, and have hope in the midst of sorrow and really be able to see um, their story from a redemptive perspective. Right, right. We lovingly give to your organization and love doing that. I was looking at it recently. It's funny when you, uh, when we give out money, I'll start looking around. I was like, Where, what are we giving to and want to make sure what we're doing? And I'll start looking at things. And one of the things that really caught my eye was that so you don't have to walk alone. Because I do think, unfortunately, you know, you found a purpose with Abel's life that he was given. But people have to walk, some people have to walk alone. And that's that's scary. And so I think what you did, not only did you honor Abel, but you help take some of the scaredness out of it. I guess a better way to that you're not alone in this. This is this happened. So talk talk a little bit about when you first started. What you like you said you know what the prognosis was when they told you not much about it. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, on the one hand, when you're talking about likely limited time and having to to say goodbye to your child and experience the death of a child, the the weight and the significance of that in and of itself, I, you know, I don't have to explain how that looms large. Right. Um, but then you're left kind of with this season of the between now and as the story is still being written, we'll, we'll see how this plays out. But if that is the end that that does come in whatever timetable, you know, it could come sooner than later, but it might be weeks, months, years. And so all of these unknowns are just hanging over your head. Right. And that can be some of, you know, as you had said, some of uh, the most fear-inducing, intimidating, scary parts is, I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what questions I should be asking. I don't know what I need to be mentally, emotionally preparing for or when. And so in the absence of that information, it's an incredibly vulnerable place. And, yeah. Um, when we're in that position of vulnerability, of helplessness, powerlessness, there can be a huge human temptation to just withdraw and isolate get through it. And so that's something that from our earliest days, you know, Kelly has been very passionate about and we've continued to keep just at, at the at the forefront of the ministry is, is being rooted in relationships mm-hmm. um, because that ultimately is the kind of support that impacts and really changes people's stories. Even right. if it change the ultimate outcomes of these stories, Mm-hmm. of our, our children's lives on earth, how we experience our children's lives in these stories as they're playing out, how we reflect upon them. There's a massive spectrum of, of right. what that experience can be like. And so I agree with what you had said of just even the intangible sense of uh, I'm not alone in this. I'm not the first parent to walk through something like this. I might be the first parent in my world that I've heard of that has gotten right is like this, but many, many thousands have walked before me. Many thousands will come after me. 
And so that's not to minimize or invalidate the weight and the significance of each individual story. Um, right. One is different. No two are exactly the same. But that that community, that that club of of people that you'd never want to sign up for, and that nobody raised their hand to volunteer for, but right. it can be a place where some really beautiful and really powerful connections uh, and relationships can be fostered and built. And so that really, you know, from before day one, has been a passion and, and a privilege of what we get to do. And so I'm I'm glad that that's stood out to you as well. Yeah. You know, there's a Good Friday first before Easter Sunday. And so, and that's really what um, I think the families that we serve, they're sitting in that tension all the time. And so, and there is tension there, but we can still have a lot of joy, a lot of love and a lot of happiness in the midst of circumstances that are outside of our control and that we wish were different. Even the fact that we call it Good Friday in reference to the crucifixion, you know, we're sitting here 2000 years later, Mm -hmm. seeing all that has come through that most horrendous and painful things. And, you know, I I don't think they were calling it Good Friday at the time on Friday, Saturday. So, yeah, that's certainly uh, another, you know, another aspect and another privilege that, that we have to share from our own story and to put in front of people. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, you too, you're doing something special. Thank you for doing that. But I may crack it, <laughs> but uh, I really appreciate it. I think one of the things that I, like I said, I wanted to just bring awareness about this because, you know, it really is powerful. And, and I love the, I, I especially love the way you said, Kelly, honoring Abel's life, no matter how long it is. Uh, thank you for, for sharing that. I'm really, thank you so much. I don't know really what else to say about it. I'm touched. in Texas Banking. Today, our podcast brings you a truly special episode dedicated to promoting Breast Cancer Awareness Month. We are honored to have the opportunity to speak with several courageous breast cancer survivors who will share their remarkable journeys, the profound impact this has on their lives, and the incredible initiatives they've undertaken to affect positive change. In the month of October, we unite as a community to raise awareness and educate others about the paramount importance of early detection, prevention, and treatment. Breast cancer affects countless women worldwide. Our guest, Jen Palmer, embodying the unwavering belief that every woman deserves access to information and resources throughout this challenging journey. the pleasure today to talk again with someone that we consider a close personal friend of the bank, Jen Palmer. Jen Palmer is married to Ryan Palmer, one of our golf ambassadors. And many of you have heard from Jen before through the work that she does and through their foundation. But Jen is a survivor of breast cancer. With October being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we thought it appropriate to bring her back on the show and just talk a little bit more about, you know, Jen's story, if you haven't heard it. And talk a little bit more about how all of us can do better at learning the signs of what we need to do and getting the help we need to to make sure we're getting all the screenings and the proper care. So welcome back to the show, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. Seems like this is our third go around and every time it's always a little more fun. (laughs) I've always, you know, one of the things I've admired about you the most in the years I've got to know you and your story is just how 
breast cancer for you came at a time when, you know, during your life and how it affected you. But I'd just like for everybody to know a little bit about your story, Jen, and give us your background on your, your breast cancer diagnosis. All right. Yes. So... I was diagnosed at the age of 40, which, you know, I was actually looking forward to being 40 and I thought it was going to be the best year of my life. And, Uh you know, in some ways, I mean, I guess you could say it was one of the best years of my life, because even though I was diagnosed with breast cancer, you know, that gives me a chance to share my story, share my journey and to hopefully help others. Um, Right. By being able to to share about that. So, yeah, so I was diagnosed in uh, 2016, of course, by a mammogram, which right. is, you know, in my opinion, uh, really the only way to detect cancer at its early uh, breast cancer at its early stages. Right. I know that hopefully now there are some other technologies and we're, you know, they're still trying to come up with newer um, ways to diagnose breast cancer. But um, for me, I was diagnosed um, through a mammogram. And then, you know, you sort of go on this journey into the unknown for, you know, it can be up to four weeks, even longer before you can get in with doctors and surgeons and, uh, and get a treatment plan. Right. So my breast cancer was a uh, triple positive invasive ductal carcinoma, and it had spread to the lymph nodes. So I did surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, and um, what they also call adjunctive chemotherapy. Yeah. So followed along. um, And then I did have another surgery down the way and some oral medication too, that I took for five years. So. Okay. Good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so when you got the diagnosis, were you pretty regular about getting your screenings? A lot of people may not know about this, but Jen's a dentist. And so she has a medical background. And did, did you get your screenings regularly though, Jen? Yes. So in the past, they said that you don't really need a gram- mammogram until turn 40. Um, but I had actually had a couple of mammograms before and they actually pulled one of mine up when I was back there with the radiologist to show me the difference between my uh, previous mammogram and the one where they, you know, that they used for my diagnosis. So right. I've always been pretty proactive in my healthcare, maybe because I have the medical background, but I'm usually not one to, to wait around. Um, right. on things. Right. I, yeah. I mean, so, so yeah, I was very lucky that, um, that I went in and it was, it was a catch that I'm not sure everybody would catch um, what they did see on the mammogram. So I was really thankful for that. And then, of course, I did an ultrasound that same day and they got me in really quickly for a biopsy. Yeah, I think that was important. Something you said, too, is that I think it's clear for me is that I think a lot of people think when you get when you hear the word, I've got breast cancer or whatever that is, it does take time then to get a treatment plan and go see doctors. And many of us would want to, okay, let's go tomorrow. So why do you think that time frame that, you know, sometimes it can take four to six weeks before you can get a plan together. What does that time do? To, what does that do to your psyche? And how did you deal with, I know I have this and I, I don't have a plan yet. Are you a planner? Yes. Yes. I am a total <laughs> planner. So, yeah. So, I mean, it was really difficult. I think I feel like in my situation, it was more difficult for the people around me, like Ryan and my family, because they felt helpless. They couldn't do anything. We didn't really know anything because while there is a way to tell that 
the breast cancer was invasive from the biopsy, um, I mean, you still at that point, you don't really know if you're going to need chemotherapy, you know, until they do some more diagnostic testing. So I think, you know, one of the quotes that someone said to Ryan is they feel like you're swimming upstream. Yeah. Um, or that you're like out in the ocean and you're going against the current. So that was one of the ways that someone related it to him. But, you know, I just I tried to remain calm and also with my medical background, I did a lot of research and was trying to just find out anything I could, you know, which can be a good thing and a bad, bad right. thing. Sometimes the internet then, can scare the heck out of you. Then you have Dr. <laughs> Google, you know, and they're diagnosing everything for you, exactly. which may not be, you know, accurate. So, right. um, and, you know, like you said, getting into the word cancer and why it is so fearful is, I mean, I feel like there's a number of reasons. I mean, I think people hear the word cancer and then they automatically relate it to death, maybe because um, they've had it happen to a family member or a friend. And at that point, you don't know anything about staging and you don't know how, you know, advanced it is. You don't know. I mean, and other people have that fear because maybe they don't have family. They don't have friends. They don't have health insurance. They have barriers to treatment such as transportation and so many reasons why, you know, people are scared. They have kids. They want to make sure that they are able to tell their kids in a way that makes them understand it. But that, again, doesn't make it fearful for them um, because right. it can change their lives and their outlook and how they relate to their peers and their schoolwork, you know, and things like that. So, I mean, there's just yeah, I feel like that that there is a stigma yeah. around the word and. For me, um, I was always very open. I don't know if that has more to do with just my personality, but I, you know, obviously we had to keep it quiet for a little while because of our, we wanted it to be with our inner circle and make sure that we had told everyone in our family and kind of had some information before it did get out because Ryan is a public figure and he had to take time away from, you know, golf to be there for the family. So for me, it really helped me. I think it helped me to get my story out there. Um, I felt like maybe I was helping others or maybe that I could get information that I didn't know about that might help me on my journey and just, you know, getting more people to pray for me and helping me find good doctors. So I was happy to share my story and, um, and get it out there. And I also think that sharing it helps keep me positive and just have a better journey with all of it. Right. No, I, I, I love the way you said that. Some of it is just by saying it, it doesn't make it as, a, as scary by saying it out loud. I mean, even though you may not know all of what it brings to you, just saying it out loud to someone else hearing you, you're not alone in those thoughts. Right. And so I think that's that's a big part of of what I've seen. I I think one of the things I love about what you guys do, I do want to talk about the the Ryan Palmer Foundation that you guys, you and Ryan put a lot of effort into it. And I know part of it is the dentistry part and the smiles, which I know you're very proud of as well. But I also know that a big part of it is the comfort bags that you guys give. So tell us a little bit about those comfort bags and how long you've been doing it and why that's important to you as a, you know, something that you saw when you were going through your treatments? 
Okay. Yes. So we do, we partner with the National Breast Cancer Foundation to provide hope kits to women who are undergoing breast cancer treatment. And I think we've been doing that with them for two years now. Okay. Maybe, maybe three. I think it's three. Because I think last year we, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's three years. And so these kids are, I mean, they're basically there to try and provide some comfort to these ladies who are going through surgeries, double mastectomies, chemotherapy, radiation. Um, some of the things that they have in them are uh, lip balm. They have blankets, fuzzy socks, lotion, um, a tumbler. And I think they have like a journal and pen and usually a note of encouragement. And there may be a couple of other items. I think they put a bracelet in it and it's just... It's just really neat to me. We took a group over there uh, the very first year we we were involved, and I would love to go back over there and do that again. But we were able to pack those kids up and, you know, know that they were going out to women. And for me, I think it's really important because one of the things when you go through chemotherapy, um, obviously you can get sick and you also can get very dehydrated. So having the tumbler, you can always have water. Mm -hmm. Um, lip balm and lotion for, you know, dry lips and skin. Um, I did cold capping to save my hair. So the fuzzy socks and the blankets were something that I used every time I went to treatment. So I just think it's, you know, it really gives these women some, um, well, hope. That's why they're called hope kits. But then also, you know, just a level of comfort being there and knowing that somebody you know, cares enough about you and your cancer journey to, to want to do that for you and make you make that happen for you to have those items. Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of people may not know what to expect in their first treatment, right. Of you're not sure of how, what had this and then get something like that, that may give you some comfort in the meantime. I think it's very, I think it mean it's more meaningful than people might expect because I think just like I said, unless you know what to expect, you don't know that you might, your lips might get chapped yeah. or you might, your skin might be drier than normal, things like yeah. that. So that's a, a great way to add that onto it. Yeah, you I don't really to, know, honestly. Yeah, just, yeah exactly. <laughs> going into it. So, uh, you know, a lot of it is, you know, you do, I mean, you've got a family you take care of and you've got things that you do, but I know this is part of your passion. So really one of the things I wanted to ask you is why do you feel like you can still add to this what what in your journey said look i i can help others feel better when they're going through the same diagnosis that i went through so what drives you jen to keep going yes well i mean of course one of the things that drives me is family and teaching my kids to serve others and i certainly hope that that's a legacy that i leave behind for them but um, you know, having the foundation, we have the ability to, I feel like, really get out there and, you know, and help others. And one of the first things that we were able to do was to partner with Texas Health Resources, and they have a mobile unit that goes around and can serve women in need right where they are. Uh, they awesome. have a greening mammogram. And so, you know, they travel out into the community And that way they're able to meet these women who may not have uh, childcare or a way to get, you know, to an actual facility to get that screening done. So um, that's where we started. And we actually are going to be partnering them again this fall for two different 
outings with the mobile unit, one in October and one in November. When you find out more on that, Jen, let us know. We'll make sure the word gets out to some of our communities as well to help advertise that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And the reason why, of course, that that situation drives me is because, like I said, the mammogram is the way that you detect breast cancer and it's the way that you detect it um, in its early stages. And, you know, we're also looking into other ways and newer technologies, you know, new, newer, hopefully newer diagnostic tools too for women, but just being able to have a, a mammogram be accessible, like to yeah. all women, right. that would really be, you know, like a main goal for me is, uh, you know, is to be able to have that happen. How can people get involved with the Ryan Palmer Foundation to help you achieve your goal of making sure mammograms are accessible to all women? Yes. So um, obviously they can go, um, you know, we're redoing the Ryan Palmer Foundation website. We're going to make it newer and better. And so they can go on there. It's www.ryanpalmerfoundation.org. And we're going to have everything listed on there for October for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. You know, you can obviously make a donation directly to the foundation, but also during the month of October, we partner with HTO and they have those all over DFW, Amarillo. Um, I know that they're branching out. And so during that month, uh, you can round up on your purchase and all of the proceeds from rounding up go toward the breast cancer initiative for the Ryan Palmer foundation. Oh, that's awesome. How much did you make off the spirit change off the HTO drink? I think that we made around $78,000 with HTO and yes. So people just rounded up their purchase and all of those proceeds went straight to our foundation for the breast cancer initiative. Tell me a little bit about what is HTO? Uh, The franchise of HTO started in Amarillo, Texas, which happens to be where Ryan and I are both from. And so they created the Ryan Palmer Tea. So that's how everything got started. And so then we built a partnership with them uh, a few years back. And this last year was when they decided to do the Roundup. I don't know if they call it Roundup for Breast Cancer Awareness um, or what they're going to be calling it this year, but um, that's how it all got started. So do they do that in October? Is that the month they do like the Roundup in October? Yes. So it's for the entire month of October. So anything that they round up, oh, it's called Roundup with Ryan. So anything that they round up, that someone rounds up through their purchase that month, all of that goes to the Ryan Palmer Foundation. So where do I get H2O? Where do I get that? Where can I get H2O? So there are, there's a lot of H2Os all through the DFW Metroplex. I mean, of course, there's the one that started in Amarillo. They're building one right now in Colleyville, Southlake. There's one in Grapevine. I want to say Bedford. And you can get it by just like a cup or you can go in there and order by the gallon. They have these little, they're not even a half gallon. It's almost like a quarter gallon. So HTO is a franchise of started Amarillo. They partner with the Ryan Palmer Foundation for the change in October, the Breast Cancer Awareness Month. They donate that Roundup change to the Ryan Palmer Foundation to help with breast cancer awareness and other foundation things that you do. So I guess, Jen, I guess, you know, like I said, we've talked with you a few times and love having you on the show. You're such a, a great proponent for awareness. I think one of the things that makes you so appealing is that through the foundation, but also through your personal self, your own story about 
you know, wanting women to find getting help soon so they can have a full life. But I think also for all of us, making sure that cancer doesn't have the stigma of a, of a sentence that's, you know, limiting. It, it can, yes. it, there's a lot of things that can be done with that. So I appreciate you again being on the show as always. We look forward to having Ryan on, uh, with us as an ambassador in the Ryan Palmer Foundation. You know, it's one of the great foundations. It gives back so well to the state of Texas. And so we're really proud of that. Thank you, Jen. Yes, thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. And I know we are just really thankful to be able to work with Veritex. I think that, you know, the Ryan Palmer Foundation and Veritex share a very common goal and that we want to serve others. And we want to serve others through integrity, whether that be with you guys, with your banking um, and right. us with us through, you know, our breast cancer initiative with our the braces that we do through the foundation and also just growing the game of golf. You know, yeah. we want to do it to serve others just like you guys and to do it with integrity. So we really appreciate being partners with you guys at Veritex and really appreciate you having me on the show. It's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Wait for the energy. It's coming to you. There's a topic that affects everyone, and that's about finances. For many years, Team Veritex has advocated for financial literacy and partnered with organizations who dedicate their time to teaching people of all ages about finances and how important it is to be knowledgeable in this topic. So how do you inspire people to talk about finances openly? Well, you're about to find out. We partner with the World Series champion pitcher, Ryan Presley, and his wife, Kat, to get excited about financial literacy. This baseball season, for every strikeout Ryan throws, Veritex Bank and Ryan and his family will donate $100 each to the Junior Achievement of Southeast Texas, making each strikeout worth $200. Today, we're chatting with someone that's got more energy than I ever thought I'd have, and I think I've got a lot. Today, we're chatting with Tanya Daniel from Junior Achievement. She's going to share all the great things they do for the community and how this strikeout promotion will help teach school-aged kids more about financial literacy. I love this show. Listen to the whole thing. You'll love it. Tanya, I think it can be matched with energy, which I love. But one of the things I wanted to dive into at Truth in Texas Banking, what we try to do is really share the spotlight with those who are in our communities that really have a passion and a purpose for what they do. So, Tanya, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, LaVonda. Such an honor to be here and share my evening with my Triton Texas Banking family. <laughs> That's awesome. Tell me a little bit about your background. What drives you, Tanya, for you, know, you definitely have a giftedness and a purpose-driven life. What do you think shaped that for you? Absolutely. Such a great question. So if I look at my childhood, Lavanda, growing up in Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka was in the middle of civil war for so many years. My childhood was kind of plagued by that, even though I lived in a very cosmopolitan city, the capital city of Colombo, went to private school. I had a lot of positives, but yet that background of civil war and terrorism was always there. I remember the defense ministry was bombed one day and my school was adjacent to that. And so our school also got affected. I remember my classmates' families died during the central bank bombing when the central bank of Colombo was bombed. So mm -hmm. 
growing up with the civil war and you know in, and human rights violations being uh, a constant debate like in everyday life i think my passion for education women's rights and human rights started really early and i think that still carries to this day and i think that's why i have such a passion for junior achievement and our mission because i feel we need to empower the future of the world through education and especially coming from sri lanka in the background of war Holes were bombed, especially in the northern peninsula of Sri Lanka, where children right. had to like study in refugee camps and internally displaced people's shelters. I think education can be a catalyst for so many things. Oh my gosh, I so agree with you because that's one of the things I'd really like to talk about. Just to get and dive into more about your junior team and itself, but just you know how financial literacy affects everything we do in every part of our life. It helps you with the handout for people. It helps people thrive in the community about that. So access, what I hear you saying is that, listen, we don't have a lot of the stuff that was happening in some of those countries, but we still have to provide access for all. And no matter what zip codes you live in, no matter what your socioeconomic hub life is, access to education is so important. Thanks for listening and we really appreciate our followers. We wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday Season. Mm-hmm.